They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the ninth day of October, the Feast of St. Dennis and Companions, Martyrs. And we are going to look at the gospel for the day, which comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out of the, the mute man spoke, the mute man spoke, excuse me, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons mm-hmm. by Beelzebul, mm-hmm. the prince of demons, while others to test him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, a house falls upon house. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace, but one st- when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not reading from the Missal today. I'm actually reading the translation from Ignatius Bible. Yeah, Um, good. So I'm not reading the exact translation that they have at church. So don't get too upset about it. It's, It's okay. Um. What's going on here? Jesus casts out a demon. And the people, instead of wanting to say, wow, God is working here, Mm -hmm. they are saying to themselves, ah, he's casting out demons by the prince of demons. Oh, really? Well, if, if I'm casting out demons by the prince of demons, Jesus says, then Satan is divided against Satan. And you know what? That's a good thing because his kingdom's going to collapse. That'd be awesome, (laughs) you know? No, that's not what was happening. But the tragedy was here, Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He has come to save his people from their sins. Right. And they don't want to accept it. Nope. You know, what sign are you going to show us? They're, They're not asking him out loud, but they're asking for a sign. Well, you know, I mean, this is the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. He's already, you know, um, raised people from the dead and um, worked miracles and calmed storms on the sea and raised the widow's son in name. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, um, what more do you want? You know, how many more signs do you want? And I think this is very instructive for us. And I think we need to examine ourselves on this. We pray to God and we ask him to answer our prayers, but we don't like the answers we get. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, you know, I didn't like that one, God. Uh, 
how about you do it another way? Are we willing to change our lives in order to make our life to conform to the will of God? Or are we asking God to change his will to conform to the way I want to live? And that's what's happening here. They're asking. And so what do they do? They attribute to Jesus evil. He's casting out demons by the prince of demons. In other words, they're, hey, you know what they're saying? He's in league with the devil. That's exactly right. They don't believe him. After all the good that he's done. Yep. This is the Messiah in their midst. But they don't like what he's preaching. Nope. Because he's preaching. And, you know, it's a funny thing. I think today we have the same problem. Yeah. Go out and start telling people they have to give up their sins. Oh, now you're messing with me. Yeah, now you're meddling, huh? No, I'm not going to listen to you. Well, you know what? That's what Jesus was telling people. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Right. Repent, repent, repent. And by the way, if we don't repent, we're not even going to be able to hear the good news. Right. Because sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. We don't see clearly because we're sinners. We need God's help. And so Jesus, he knows their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. And, and he knows their objections. And the reality is that if Satan's kingdom was divided against itself, that would be great because Satan would fall. Right. But who is the strong man here in this gospel? According to the fathers of the church and the commentators, that's the ancient you know, commentators, the, the fathers of the church and, and the doctors of the church, the strong man is the demon. And the prison he kept everyone in was sin. Mm-hmm. And the Messiah comes to free us from sin. That's it. Jesus didn't come to remove all suffering from this earth. Jesus did not come to establish an earthly paradise. We are not looking for an eternal paradise on this earth. Like a political leader. No. No. No, he's not a political. And you know what? Politics isn't going to save us. Right. It's so beautiful. Someone sent me a link today about Eucharistic adoration and, and how beautiful it is and how many examples we have throughout the world of places where crime was rampant yep. and they established Eucharistic adoration That's right. and all of a sudden the crime rate went down. Yep. Ciudad Juarez in northern Mexico is a great example. That's right. Two rival gangs, one that was supported by the army and one that was supported by the police. Right. And they're warring with each other. And and the missionaries came in 2013 and they started Eucharistic Adoration Chapels. And awesome. it changed Juarez, Mexico. Yep. It has become one of the safest cities in the world. Yep. Through prayer. Not through war, not through politics. And that's it. It's Jesus came and he cast out the demons, the demons of violence and drug addiction and gang warfare. And he cast them out by his presence in the Eucharist and people adoring him in the Eucharist. We need to turn to the Lord Jesus. And by the way, what happens here? When an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he wanders through waterless looking for a place to rest. And then He says, oh, I'm going to go back. And he goes back and he finds the house swept and in order. Mm -hmm. But what doesn't he find? He doesn't find the house filled with the presence of God. Right. And because the person hasn't filled their house with the presence of God, even though the demon went out of them, now the demon goes out and he finds seven demons worse than himself and brings them back. 
we need to fill our hearts and minds. It's not just about giving up sin. Right. It's about replacing sin with the presence of God in our life. Yeah. And by the way, you know, this warning about if, if Satan were divided against himself, yeah. his kingdom would fall. Christians, wake up. We're divided. Yeah. Are we? And, and, and who should be? Our, our union should be around Jesus Christ. Our union should be around Jesus Christ. We don't need to be condemning each other or putting each other down. Rejoice in all the good that God does, no matter who he does it through. Any good that's done on this earth is done by God's inspiration with the help of the angels that he sends and is brought to completion through his his grace. That's end of story. story. So rejoice in any good that you see, no matter who's done it. But let's pray for one another that we truly converted to Jesus Christ, that we give up our sins and that we fully accept Jesus into our life and that we be united, be united in prayer and in reparation. Mm. Sin is an offense against God. It's a real offense. You know, people think, oh, well, it's just a venial. So you hear people say, oh, it's just a little white lie. You know, honey, God is truth. I am the way, the truth and the life. No lie has any place with the truth. And so if we're not willing to give up our venial sins, those venial sins, every time we sin, it darkens our intellect more, weakens our will more. Mm-hmm. So when we're tempted to commit a mortal sin, a deadly sin, and yes, read the letter of John, there are sins that are deadly and sins that are not deadly. When we're tempted to commit a, mo- a deadly sin, which in, in the Catholic Church we call mortal, that will kill the life of God in our soul, cast God out of our soul, It'll be real easy for us if we've made a compromise with, with little sins because they've darkened our intellect yeah. and weakened our will. So we don't have the strength to stand. We need to turn to the Lord. We need to confess our sins. We need to give up our sins. We need to change our lives and fill our lives. Beg Christ to fill us with himself. One thing I think is a good thing to do also is ask Jesus Christ for more faith each day. Absolutely. To be able to have the grace to say no to yourself. Absolutely. Because without him, you are nothing. Right. And, and faith, hope and charity. It's, you know, when you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. Do we really love God? How much do we love God? If our love is measured by the amount of time we want to spend with him, if the only time you're going to give God is maybe 45 minutes on Sunday morning and now it's like, oh, boy, these masses have to be only a half hour, whatever. Um, how much love is there? Exactly. How much love is there? Mary, when we come back from the break. Uh, we talked about this yesterday on the Terry and Jesse show about the inerrancy of Scripture on why the Bible is without error. It seems to me that if we don't have that understanding that the Bible is unique to any other book right. on the planet, yeah. then we're missing something. Yeah. <laughs> a big maybe, thing. Maybe. Yeah. Just, just a little. A little. <laughs> and I will also ask you to comment on certain new Scripture scholars that have come in the last 50, 60 years who've kind of poo-pooed this idea that that the Bible is without error and some of the fruit from that on their own teachings of error coming in on homosexuality, on the church. Uh, the consequences of not believing that the Bible is without error will put you into error. Exactly, exactly. So when we come back from the break, uh, we'll talk more about inspiration the, uh, the Bible. So these are fundamental truths about the Bible right. that everybody should know. I'm going to call it what every Catholic needs to know about the Bible. There you go. As a matter of fact, we're doing that October, on November 7th, a seminar with Dr. Scott Hahn. You can sign up by going to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 
org or call 877-526-2151. Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and, you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to the Terry and Jesse show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Daniel, what a testimony, and I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, St. Paul says, So there abide faith hope, and love, these three. According to St. Ignatius of Antioch, faith is the beginning and love is the end. And God is the two of them brought into unity. Then comes everything else that makes up a Christian. May God grant that we may attain all the virtues that make for authentic followers of His Son. selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show, and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, October the 9th, 2020. And thank you so much for joining us, the Feast of St. Dennis and Martyrs Companions. And um, just I just want to say thank you to all those people who support us and listen to us. By the way, if you like this Bible with the Barber Show, please like us and share us on your YouTube channel, <laughs> on your YouTube channel you know, or Facebook. Um, invite all your friends and, and relatives to listen. You want a Bible study? You don't have to pay for it. Just just tune in. And um, so we we know where the Bible came from. It came from the Catholic Church. And that is that without without the bishops of the Catholic Church in 395 at the councils of Carthage and Hippo in the 390s and setting down the canon of Scripture, there was no canon. The Jews didn't have a canon of Scripture, and there was no canon before that date in Christianity. So, And it wasn't the Council of Trent who gave us the canon of Scripture. The Council of Trent set that canon in absolute stone because 
the reformers who had broken away from the Catholic Church were challenging certain books of the Bible. Right. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther wanted to throw out the letter to the, of James, mm -hmm. and he wanted to throw out the deuterocanonical books from the Old Testament. So we're not going to go into all that on today, but we're going to go into inerrancy and inspiration. And what is inerrancy and inspiration? And the two of them are interdependent. Well, inerrancy means without error. Mm -hmm. There is no error. Okay. Well, wait a minute. There's no error. How could you have a human book, a human book and, and no error? in it? I mean, men wrote this book. How could there be no error in it? Well, and that's where inspiration comes mm -hmm. in. Who do we believe is the primary author of scripture? Yep. And as you know, we believe, and this is the, the this is what the Christians believe from the very beginning of Christianity. This is what Jesus gave to his apostles, that the Holy Spirit is the primary author of Scripture. That yes, he used real men who used their talents and wrote in different styles and different genres, um, but what they committed to writing was what God intended and nothing else. So that that's the inspiration part of it. Mm -hmm. Well, it follows from that, and that's ideas have consequence. I know you and Brenda were talking in the last in the Terry and Jesse show about ideas and mm -hmm. and how they affect us. Ideas have consequences; they do have consequences, and they do affect us, and they affect our lives. They're very important, and so inerrancy is this. We're saying that nothing; there are no errors in the Bible. Now, nowadays, you have a lot of scholars. And what's interesting is the Protestants threw this out. Modern biblical scholarship, yeah. it actually started long ago. It started, mm -hmm. it started with, actually started with the Muslim theologians in, in the 900s, okay? And then it came up, and then you had William of Ockham, uh, who um, gave some pretty, uh, you know, false statements. And he was followed. And then you had the Protestant reformers break away. And, of course, they wanted the Bible alone, the difficulty is, is, well, how can you have the Bible alone if, where did it come from then? How did we get it? And, the interest, and then immediately, even though Ma Martin Luther said it's the Bible alone, he changed it. He said, okay, well, we can't have the book of James. That's out, even though it's been here for 1,500 years. We can't have the Deuterocanonicals. Those are out, even though those had been in the Bible for 1,500 years. And so right away, you break away from the authority of the church and you say, oh, well, my only authority is scripture. But what did, what did they immediately do? They changed the scripture. So the inerrancy, yes, it does apply to history, science, religion. It applies across the board. Now, is this a history book in the way that 20th century Americans understand history? No. No. Is this a science book in the way that 20th century Americans understand science? Okay, can I give you an example very briefly? Yes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Yes. And, and it says that in the dome of the sky. Okay, well, is the Bible then teaching us that, you know, the earth is this ball suspended in space and then there's this dome over it? Is that what it's teaching us? Is that what the Bible's teaching us? No. It's talking about observation. Mm. If you go to the newspaper and you want to know what time the light started to show mm -hmm. today, we call it the dawn. Right. What do we call the dawn? Sunrise, right? Right. Sunrise. Why? Because the sun rises, right? Sure. 
oh, but all of us in our 20th century and 21st century scientific minds, we know that the sun doesn't rise, right? How many of you sit down at night and watch the sunset? And you call it the sunset. But does the sunset? No. We're using what our eyes observe to describe something that's happening in reality. Mm-hmm. To our eyes, it appears that the sun rises over the, over the, the horizon in the east, and then in the evening, it sets over the horizon in the west. But we don't consider that a scientific error to describe it that way. Well, the same with the Bible. Don't, don't expect the Bible to have, you know, if, if, it, it's, if it's describing um, truths about the world and how the world looks to the observable eye, don't give the Bible more scrutiny than you're giving to yourself when you still refer to sunrise and sunset, okay? Mm-hmm. But um, was it ever defined? Was it ever defined by the Catholic Church that the Bible is inerrant? Yes, as a matter of fact, it was. The dogma was solemnly defined at the councils of Florence and Trent, all right? And um, we have some, uh, there's some encyclicals I would like to recommend that people read. Oh, yeah, they're all available. Okay, I'm not going to read them to you, but um, Divino Aflante Spiritu, 1943, by Pope Pius XII. Classic. Okay, that's, that's an encyclical that promoted biblical studies. That needs to be read. Another one is Pope Benedict the fifteenth. The fifteenth. this is 1920, Spiritus Paracletus, about St. Jerome. And he talks about, um, you, you know, the study of Scripture and, and um, the need to study Scripture. And, of course, the Catholic Church has never forbidden the study of Scripture. It's encouraged. The, the Catholic Church has never forbidden her people to read the scriptures. Right. You know, every single mass from the time of Jesus Christ up until today, at every mass, the only book you read for the readings at mass are the scriptures. Right. You know, at the Last Supper, Jesus and his apostles prayed the Psalms. They prayed the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. They talked about the Passover with, with, with the, the, what was given to them in Leviticus and, and, excuse me, Exodus, what was given to them in Exodus. And, and they carried out the Last Supper according to what was given to them in Leviticus, what was laid down for them to observe the, the law. And that is the, they exercise that in their liturgical practice, but always using the scripture. And so when, when the church represented in an unbloody manner the one eternal paschal mystery of christ his entire paschal mystery that's not just not just his death on the cross it's his entire passion death on the cross burial Mm -hmm. resurrection and glorification okay the entire paschal mystery where where christ is presented to us in an unbloody manner Mm -hmm. the scriptures are read and have been read from the beginning and and the gospel was told the gospel, what is the gospel? The life of Christ. And there's a fourfold gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four witnesses of what happened in the life of Christ gave an account. Matthew was an apostle. He wrote the gospel as he, as he witnessed it. Mark was the secretary for Peter, and he wrote the gospel as Peter witnessed it and preached it. Luke was the doctor for St. Paul. He was a physician. He was a Greek. And he wrote the gospel as Paul had preached it. And John was an apostle, an eyewitness. He wrote the gospel as he experienced it. And so there aren't any errors in Scripture. 
So why can there appear to be errors? Why does it appear there are contradictions? Why is it, well, number one, it's, it, it's hard to understand some things. Um, the other thing I want you to understand is when we say the scriptures are inerrant, that doesn't mean that this here book that I have in my hand is free from error. Now, how can that be? Well, this is a translation and a copy. Okay? St. Augustine, and the church always has quoted this from the time he said it. If you think you have come across an error in Scripture. It's important to hear this. You need to look at three things. The first thing is, do I have a good translation? Because what's inerrant and what is inspired is the original text. So it's the original text that the original sacred author wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what's inerrant. So do I have a good copy of the original text? Eh, You know, if I don't know the language, I might not be able to verify that. That's why scholars are supposed to study the original languages that the scripture was written in. Okay, so maybe I have a a bad copy. Mm -hmm. Well, what else? Maybe I have a lousy translation. (laughs) Maybe someone in translating the scripture is reading it and saying, oh, God couldn't have meant that, or oh, this should be said this way. It would be so much better if it was said this way. Or, you know, one of the things that's interesting about um, when St. Augustine and St. Jerome became, well, St. Jerome was always Catholic, but when St. Augustine was converted, he didn't like reading the scriptures because the Greek and the Hebrew of the scriptures mm-hmm. was not the Greek. Augustine had read the Greek authors in the Greek and, and it wasn't the Greek in the Bible was like clumsy and, mm-hmm. and, and well, it was like a grammar school kid writing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like some, you know, if you're writing in English and it takes you years and years to learn how to write, you get into college and you can write these beautiful, you know, essays or whatever. Um, but this is more like, you know, a, a lot of it's more like a grammar school kid writing, and it's not the best, and it was, it was clunky at times. And both Jerome and Augustine found it difficult mm. to read the scriptures in their original language because they were used to reading pagan authors who had much more beautiful expressions <laughs> in their native tongue. So you could have a bad translation. You could have a translation that is not faithful to the original text. So you could have a copy where someone made a mistake, and copied, you know, miscopied what was there. You could have a translation. And St. Augustine gave one other possibility. And this possibility, I think, is the one that's hardest for we in the 20th century, 21st What's century, that? to accept. What's that? Maybe there's something I don't understand. <laughs> that takes humility. No. <laughs> no. Couldn't be, no. right? Yeah, maybe there's something I don't understand. If I really think there's a contradiction or an error in Scripture, if I think the Scripture's contradicting itself, Maybe there's something I'm not understanding. Mm-hmm. Maybe God is beyond me and that, that what he has, you know, breathed through the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, inspired into authors to write. Maybe there are things there that I just don't get because I don't understand the mind of God. Mm. And, and, and that's a big problem for all of us. Yeah. There's so many of us today say, oh, God would never send anybody to hell. Well, you know, it's real. If, if you read the gospel, Jesus says, he gives you an account of the last judgment. And he says, I will gather all the people and I will divide them into two groups. One on my right and one on my left. And to those on my left, I will say, out of my sight, you damned. Into that everlasting fire. And we're going to finish this after the break. That's a good teaser. You're listening (laughs) to the Bible with the Barbers. 
Don't hesitate to go online to Virgin Most Powerful. We've got a big event coming up November 7th with Dr. Scott Hahn, Tim Staples, Father Bill Casey, on what every Catholic needs to know about all kinds of things. It'll be happening on the Saturday, the 7th of November. We'll be right back with more The Bible with the Bible. Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest, I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You That's know, right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this, and I just want to call all the people, you know, I've got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money, and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We gotta, we have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old, 29 years old five kids and i thank you guys but everybody else man get on fire fight for the truth man i know what i'm telling you guys There's i so love it if you shop on amazon.com there's an easy way to support virgin most powerful radio just visit smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center under the desired charity. Now, when you log into your Amazon account and purchase products, a portion of it will automatically go to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio at no cost to you. Thanks in advance for supporting CRC and VMPR, and may God richly bless you and your family. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. And we're talking about inerrancy and how important this is. You know, God reveals himself to us through the scriptures. And his revelation is to be trusted. And part of the deal is, this mistrust in the scripture goes back, as I said, it began in the 900s with the, with the Muslim scholars and then continued in the Middle Ages with other scholars and then really broke loose um, with the Protestant Reformation, believe it or not, and then with the, the Age of Enlightenment, which the Enlightenment was not about enlightening human understanding. It was about throwing God out of this world and um, <laughs> canonizing science or reason. Only the interesting thing about the reason they're using is not the actual ability to think clearly and, and to know ideas that are true, 
but it, it was a replacement for the truth because God is the truth and he cannot err. And God reveals to us the truths of the scriptures. And so um, we're not going, the, the church says in her documents, it is absolutely wrong and forbidden either to narrow inspiration to certain parts only of Holy Scripture or to admit that the sacred writers had erred. For the system of those who, in order to rid themselves of these difficulties, do not hesitate to concede that divine inspiration regards the things of faith and morals and nothing beyond, because, as they wrongly think, in a question of truth or falsehood of a passage, we, consider, we should consider not so much what God had said as the reason and purpose which he had in mind in saying it in this system, in saying, and this system cannot be tolerated. Okay. So to say, oh, well, it really doesn't matter what it says. You see, really, we just have to look behind it to see what, what is God trying to communicate to us? Okay, so God is going to communicate to us in false ways to teach us the truth about himself? Essentially, that's what you're saying. And the church is saying, no, we can't tolerate that. That is not, it's not. That, that's not what the church believes. It's never what she has believed. And it says, Hence, because the Holy Ghost employed men as his instruments, we cannot therefore say that it was these inspired instruments who perchance had fallen into error and not the primary author. And that's the Vatican II Council, by the way. You know, people like to say the Vatican II Council was a, a rupture from the church teaching. Well, I would challenge anyone to read every document in the council and then read all the footnotes and then show me where the rupture is. Vatican II is very much connected to the past, as our church has always been connected to the past. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, really became man at a specific point in time, and he really lived on this earth at a specific point in time, at a specific place in time. And, and he revealed a sacred deposit of faith. Now, that deposit had begun in the beginning already, when God made man, God revealed himself to man. How can we know God if God doesn't reveal himself to us? God has to do the revealing. We need to humble ourselves and accept his revelation. And we need to test the revelation to see if it's actually from God. Because, yes, we can be getting revelations from people who are not God. Okay? If, if we're getting a revelation from somebody that tells us to kill ourselves or kill others, that's not from God. If we're getting a revelation that says, oh, well, you know, I can kill innocent unborn children and still call myself a Catholic. Well, you're, you're, not, you're not a Catholic anymore, number one. And number two, it's not from God. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to free us from sin so that we will have the clarity to be able to see what is true and good and right. We can be deceived. We can be terribly deceived. Look at the world around us. The whole world around us has fallen into this deception of, of following whatever feels good or whatever. And it's like, how can you say, abortion doesn't feel good, by the way. It doesn't feel good to the mother at the time it's done. It certainly doesn't feel good to the poor little baby who's being murdered. And yes, it's being murdered. And yes, the baby does hurt. Amen. This is what converted Bernard Nathanson. Bernard Nathanson did falsely believe as a doctor that the, the infant in the womb couldn't feel any pain. And he performed over 75,000 abortions. And what converted him, part of what converted him was he, they went in, once they developed the, the technology, they went in with a camera. 
and they actually filmed an abortion taking place. And they saw the child fighting for its life, trying to get away from the instruments that they were trying, and saw it screaming, hey. its mouth open, screaming. And people can see that on YouTube. It's called the Silent, the silent scream. scream. And this was, Nathanson was shocked. It was like, for the first time, you know, they could talk about fetal development, they could talk about it, but for the first time now, they had a window into the womb, and they could actually see the truth. He had deceived himself into believing that he was helping women mm. by killing their babies. Wow. Women don't want to kill their children, and yet this is the kind of lie. See, these ideas have consequences, and it's important. So the scripture is inerrant. It has no errors in it. We need to humble ourselves before God, and the church has always taught this. This hasn't changed. This, this is from the very beginning. This is the revelation that Jesus gave. Jesus gave to his apostles a sacred deposit of faith, which includes the scripture, but it's not just the scripture. The scripture isn't the only revelation that God gave. First of all, it's, it's interesting because in the Vatican II document, Dei Verbum, the word of God, which, oh yeah, the word of God, we know the scripture. We say it at the mass every day, right? The word of the Lord, right? Thanks be to God. Right. Every time scripture is read, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But the word of the Lord is first and foremost a person, That's the right. second person of the Blessed Trinity. God is revealing himself to us. We have to humble ourselves and get down on our knees and realize I didn't create myself. <laughs> and you know what? I certainly didn't create the Bible. That's right. And I didn't create science or the laws of nature either. As a matter of fact, God did. God created the, na the laws of nature. And you can, you know, when in the Bible it, it describes things, as I said in the beginning, earlier, I should say, um, when it describes things as they appear to our eyes, that's not being unscientific, all right? We can understand the scientific truth and still describe things as they appear to our eyes. And that's not being unscientific or untrue. Mm. It's just that we, we describe them as we experience them through our senses. And we, we realize that there's, there's more to it than that. But we... We do not attribute to the scripture error, and we do attribute to the scripture inspiration. That is that the Holy Spirit is the one who authored the scripture using real human beings as real authors, but as Vatican II said, that, they, that the Holy Spirit worked in and through them in such wise that they committed to writing what God intended and nothing more. And the church has always taught that you can't take what is in this, this, this inerrancy and inspiration and limit it to only those things that are about salvation. salvation. Yep. Because you know what the reality is? Everything in the scripture, from the very first word of Genesis <laughs> mm -hmm. to the very last word of the book of Revelation, is about our salvation. God made us to be in union with him. Our whole life is about our salvation. We have to stay in union with God. And Mary, I just want to interrupt and say that as the church, we have to obey God's word. Um, no one in the church, even the Pope, even the Pope can't change what divine revelation has said in Scripture. Absolutely. And I, I say that today because sometimes people think, well, yeah, the, uh, you know, the bishops or this guy. No, no one has the authority. There's no expiration date on the Bible. No, there's so not. So th this is Catholic teaching, and this is why I encourage people again all of the church teachings, we call them the perennial teachings of the, of the church. church. You're safe with going with that. And if somebody comes up with something different than the perennial teachings of the church, reject it. Right. And, and, and another encyclical I want to recommend is Providentissimus Deus. 
It was written in 1893 by mm-hmm. Pope Leo XIII, and it's his encyclical on the study of Scripture. So, Providentissimus Deus, um, 1893, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, the, the and then you have the um, uh, Pope Benedict the Fifteenth. This is 1920. Pope Benedict the Fifteenth, Spiritus Paracletus, which is actually on, was on the 15th century centenary of the death of St. Jerome. Hmm. St. Jerome, of course, is the famous Catholic biblical scholar who translated all of scripture from its original language into Latin. So it took, he took the Hebrew and the Greek and he translated all of it into Latin. Okay, that was St. Jerome. And there was Providentis, I mean, Spiritus Paracletus by Pope Benedict XV is about that. And then you want to read Pius XII's Divino Flante Spiritu, 1943, his encyclical letter promoting biblical studies. Also read the Second Vatican Council document, Dei Verbum, okay? So inspiration doesn't mean that God was channeling through the authors or that he was taking their hand and writing for them. So you have poetry in the Old Testament. You have different forms of writing. You have historical books. You have law books. You have... And, and so each author was using his gifts and talents. He was acting as a true human author. And if his education was limited, God worked within that limitation. Okay. And so they acted as true authors, but God was directing their thoughts in such wise by the power of the Holy Spirit that they consigned to writing what God intended and nothing more. And Mary, the Acts of the Apostles, the old story about the eunuch on the carriage where he says, hey, I'm reading the scriptures and I'm confused. I'm not sure what, you know. What does it mean? What does it mean? And the church is there to interpret the scripture. So that's an important fact also that, yes, we have the word of God inspiration, but we also have Holy Mother, the church, to give us guidance. Right. We have because, you know, uh, St. Peter will say in his letter, no prophecy is a matter of personal interpretation. That's right. And Philip came up to the eunuch and said, do you understand what you're reading? And and what did the eunuch say? How can I? Unless someone were to explain it to me. Exactly. And that's it. It's not a matter of, it's, it's what God has given to the church. The yeah. church is the authentic interpreter of scripture. Right. The church, the magisterium, the Holy Father and the bishops in union with him are the ones who are to interpret scripture. But the Holy Father himself, as you said earlier, cannot change what is the church has always taught. And she, he certainly can't change the scripture. It's like, yeah, the church can dispense us from our obligation to go to mass on Sunday and she always has. I mean, if you're if you're deathly ill, you're dispensed. If you're in the hospital, you're dispensed. You know, there are situations where you don't have to go to Mass on Sunday. But she cannot dispense you from the obligation to keep holy the Lord's day, the third commandment. Well said, especially in these times of COVID. Huh. Well, we'll come back with more on the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin's Most Powerful Radio. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back on Virgin's Most Powerful Radio. Jesus said in Luke 17, When you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. According to St. John of the Cross, God is pleased with the little deeds we do in secret. 
he takes more pleasure in these than in a multitude of grand works that we may do out of the desire to be seen by others. May God help us to do the things that please Him and not just to appear great in the eyes of others. How does the baby eat? Can the baby hear me? How did the baby get in there? Wow, a pregnancy can sure generate a lot of questions, but what's important is that a baby is a baby inside and out of the womb, not just after birth, but nine months before, at conception. That's right, every baby is a miracle. Hello, my name is Marianne Kuharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org or better yet, simply dial pound 250 on your cell phone and say the key word pro-life. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Pro-Life Across Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. We're doing a lot of talking today about the inerrancy and the inspiration in Scripture and what does it mean and what doesn't it mean. So, um, we need to always keep in mind that the Scripture is the Word of God. It's his word written down. Now, there's a thing, and they talk about this in in the Second Vatican Council, Dei Verbum 13. You have the incarnational analogy, all right? Well, what happens? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the word of God, becomes, who is fully divine, becomes fully human without sin. He has no sin, okay? And the sacred scripture, which is the word of God, in the words of men is without error. So just as the word of God, the second person of the blessed Trinity became man and he is without sin. So to God in inspiring men to write down his revelation, the word of God in, in human words, he, they do so without error that God preserves them from committing any error. We have the, the, the scripture is a unified whole. You know, some people like to look at it as individual, and it is individual books, but, but it's a unified whole. And what's interesting is um, the fathers of the church saw it as there's only one word in scripture, and that's, this, that's this, the word of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and that all of scripture is about the Messiah, the second person of the Blessed Trinity becoming man to save us from sin. So there's only one word that God speaks, and that is his son. And his son gives to us 
He gave us the church and he gave us the church to safeguard. So we don't, for Catholics, and this, is, this was the Christian faith for 1,500 years, we don't just have scripture. We have scripture, tradition with a capital T, and the magisterium. So we have to have an authentic interpreter who tells us what a difficult passage might mean. No prophecy is a matter of personal interpretation. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch didn't understand when he was reading, when he was reading the suffering servant psalm in Isaiah, and Philip explains it to him. Without Philip's explanation, without the magisterium of the church, he didn't have the proper explanation to that passage. But once he has someone whom Jesus has revealed that to, explaining it to him, then he can understand. So, we can't throw the church out. The church is an integral part of God's revelation. Jesus Christ founded his church. And the church has authority over the scripture. Not in the sense that she can change it, but she's the official interpreter of it. She tells us what it means. There are difficult passages that we couldn't understand without the help of the, of the scripture, without the help of the church. And we need to make sure that um, we don't lose sight. There's a lot of history about what's happened in our modern times. And if you read modern biblical scholars, you often come up with, uh, there's just, they, they will give you, oh, they will come up with numerous, con numerous instances, excuse me, of where the scripture supposedly contradicts itself or is not, you know, not consistent or, um, this couldn't possibly be without error. And it's, well, maybe you're reading it wrong. You know, what, what do we go back to? You might have a bad copy. You might have a bad translation. Or maybe there's something you don't understand. And for modern man, I think there's a lot we don't understand. Because essentially what happened is at the Enlightenment, the intellectual elite in Europe tried to throw God out of the picture. We can live. We can have a brotherhood of man without the fatherhood of God, and we can bring peace and unity and harmony on this earth without God's help. Well, that's just false. We're all God's children. God made us all. And without his help, we're not going to have peace and unity and harmony. Without God being the center, we won't have peace and unity and harmony. So with the scriptures too, we're not going to have a unity of interpretation without the church. We need the church to show us what is the true interpretation. And we need the church to guide us in the reading of scripture. But it's not just the scripture. It's the whole tradition with a capital T, which includes the liturgical life of the church. I find it most interesting Tell that, me. you know, God in the Old Testament establishes his kahal, his church. And his church is a specific group of people who have specific way of worshiping, have a priesthood, there are vestments, there's a temple, there are absolute, he, write, he lays down the rules for worship. And then, okay, so he does that and does through all that trouble in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, no, we're just going to have some kind of a, a vague um, fellowship where all we do is read the word of God and, and, and just sit around and say, what, well, it's whatever I think I want it means. I don't think so. Read the Old Testament. We cannot throw out the Old Testament. And I've heard some modern preachers, I, I heard it once, this modern preacher saying, oh, we have the New Testament. We don't need the Old Testament. That's not what the church has always taught us. The church has always taught us that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And that it, what is in the New Testament is hidden in the Old. The New Testament reveals it and brings it to light. 
so that so that the the new testament is there hidden in the old testament and the old testament is fully revealed in the new so the church of god of the old testament will be revealed in the new testament in the church that jesus christ founded complete with liturgy and priesthood that that you know god didn't throw these things out beautiful and it's and i know i stepped out for a minute but that the whole concept of typologies of the Old Testament and the New Testament fulfilling those. It's just so beautiful that, you know, I know Dr. Scott Hahn, as a layman, is the one who really turned me on to this. And we have a series called, a typo- it's called Typologies in the Old Testament. Right. And if people want that, it's a whole course that you would, t- you know, be taught at Steubenville. It costs you thousands of dollars. Just call us at 877-526-2151 and we'll get you that series. Uh, it's item number 5267. I memorized it. And it really is a great teaching on the Old and the New Testament, how they fulfilled, and the Old is fulfilled in the New. And and one of the, just a, a basic typology, the, the Paschal Lamb. The, yep. the Jews were slaves in Egypt. Uh, Jesus sent, Mo, I mean, God, God sends Moses into, you know, Egypt to free his people, to take his people out to worship. He sends nine plagues to get to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh hardens his heart. No, I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to let him go. We're, you know, our economy depends on these slaves. I'm not letting them go. And, you know, economic considerations, right? And so finally, God says to Moses, I'm going to, I have one last plague and he will let you go. And what was the last plague? The last plague was the death of the firstborn in Egypt. The angel of the Lord went through Egypt and slaughtered the firstborn of every household, man and beast. And what happened was the Israelites were to take a lamb, a male, one year old, who had never had a broken bone, and they were to slaughter him in the evening twilight, eat his roasted flesh with their loins girt as if they were in flight with bitter herbs and they were to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lintels of their house mm-hmm. to mark that the angel of the Lord should pass over their house. Well, that Paschal lamb, that Passover lamb is a type. He's pointing to the Messiah. Yep. And what is Jesus Christ called when he comes? John the Baptist sees him coming, walking along the Lake of Galilee. And he says, look, there is the lamb of God. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. The Lamb of God, the past, yeah, the Passover Lamb, only now the Lamb. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, John the Evangelist is, is in heaven, and there's this scroll that's supposed to have beautiful wisdom in it, and nobody's found worthy to open it, and John's crying, and the angel says, don't cry. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Hmm. And John turns around, and what does he see? Roar! No, he sees a lamb, a lamb standing, but looking as though he's been slain. He's bearing the scars of his death, the lamb of God. And so we have this typology in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, the Passover lamb for the Egyptian, for the Israelites when they were at the beginning of the Exodus, when they're going to go out of Egypt. And then that is fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. Yeah. And there's many, many more. And Mary, Dr. Scott Hahn did a series. He did a Lamb's Supper book based That's on a talk too. that he gave. Yeah. And I want to give it away. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. It's a download. Just call 877-526-2151 for the Lamb Supper 
Download if you want to give a donation. We're still trying to paint our church and do other things here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, put on new shows uh, like the one with Brenda Garcia regarding young adults, which, uh, you know, about truth, what is truth. So important. And the Bible is so important for our young people. So this is what we do here at Virgin Most Powerful. We try to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his church. And Mary, this is this topic you're covering is what we call the fundamentals of Catholic biblical scholarship of you know, bit by, of the Bible. We need to right. know the fundamentals. And, and Catholic, remember that Catholic. It, for a Catholic biblical scholar, it's not about making up my own way. Nope. Or coming up with my no, new innovations or mm-hmm. my novel ideas. It's about being united to the past. Mm-hmm. Being in in union with the the magisterium, right. the teaching office of the church that Jesus Christ established. There's only one deposit of faith. That sacred deposit of faith includes the the sacred tradition, the scriptures, and the magisterium. The three pegs of a the, stool. The three pegs of the stool, and yeah. and one can't stand without the other. That's right. And it's everything that Jesus revealed mm-hmm. was given to His church. And it's not for the church to change it and redefine it in every age to say, oh, well, it meant this 100 years ago, but now it means this. No, it doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanged and unchanging. The truth doesn't change. Nope. So we need to humble ourselves before God and really pray for the grace and pray for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are lots of spirits out there, and there, there are lots of people who get mystical experiences, too, that aren't necessarily from God. You can get mystical experiences that are not from God. Amen. We need to humble ourselves before God. And the, and the, the, the best way to guard against that is to live in the state of grace and <laughs> remain loyal to the church yeah. and her teachings. But you have to know them. You have to know those teachings. If you don't know them, how are you going to stay faithful to them? And that's one of the reasons I say we're so important here at Virgin Most Powerful, because these are days that we're living in where there's much confusion and just remember the perennial teachings of the church. Go back, get your catechism out, your Bible, and it's all there. We've been doing this for 2,000 years. Now, we've had bumps in the road before. We have a bump in the road right now. Our culture is a bump. Huge. Yeah, but we know what? We know we read the end of the book. We win. <laughs> That's right. Mary Danielle, I just want to thank all the listeners Amen. for joining us. I know our thank numbers you. have gone way up in this past month. 185,000 more views on YouTube. Praise God. Based on that. So praise praise God. Thank you for your support. You can go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-215 and pick up that series on typologies by Dr. Scott Hahn. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars. It's free. Or the Lamb's Supper. Call us at 877-526-2151. May God richly bless you and your family. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of Thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests, 
for thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.